Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. My name is Noble. I'm your host, and today we have a fun podcast ahead of us with football season being officially 19 days away before Auburn's first game against Mercer. Really exciting time. Fall camp is in full swing. Already have the first scrimmage in the books. And with the first scrimmage, we have a lot of interesting kind of developments to talk about. You know, obviously, through this whole offseason, ever since Zach Calzada committed to Auburn, We've kind of been on the train that Zach Calzada will be the starter for this football season, but now there's a lot of smoke coming around and just a lot of, you know, just a lot of the competition being a little bit more competitive than we figured it would be. So, Wheeler, I'm going to turn it over to you. Just kind of our first question is, after seeing kind of the first scrimmage and how fall camp has turned out, are you still on the Zach Calzada train or are you hopping off to hop on to the Robbie Ashford or TJ Finley hype train for the upcoming week one starter. And would you rule out Brian Harson pulling a 2016 against Clemson and play all three quarterbacks substantial minutes in week one? I could 100% see a multiple quarterback 2016 situation happening. Though I will say, I don't think he's going to let Shinker be the quarterback and do the loop-de-loop like Gus did with old Chandler. Um, Hot take right there. Say what? Hot take. John Samuel Schenker will not be a starting quarterback this upcoming football season. Well, that take would have been incorrect in 2016. (laughs) Um, But no, uh, it's strange. The reports coming out of practice seem to indicate everyone is exceeding expectations except for the quarterbacks. And it sounds like the quarterbacks are kind of just not very good. Um, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. It just doesn't sound like – it sounds like whoever knows how to do the operational part of the offense doesn't know how to do the throwing the ball, and the guy that knows how to throw the ball can't operate the offense, or the guy that can run the ball can't throw the ball, or the guy that runs the ball can't operate the offense. It sounds like there's just kind of like – a give and take with every single one of them. And it seems like he's in a tough spot. I think he was really hoping, he being Horson, that one of the guys was going to emerge as significantly better. Um, and that's just <clears throat> doesn't seem to have been the case. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I do think that there is. For a guy like Zach Calzada, who is kind of just a status quo type quarterback, you know, he's his almost his style is he's not going to lose you the game, but he's not necessarily going to win it either. And obviously, there are exceptions to the rule. But do you think that the fact that Zach Calzada 
due to Harston's kind of earn it mentality with Zach Calzada being out in the spring, he's been running with the threes kind of to start. Do you think it's hurting him that he has less of a, less quality starters around him compared to the other guys? Or do you think, do you think that his talent should supersede the disabilities he has with playing with the threes? Brian Harson is not the only head coach in America that says you need to earn it and starts the guy with the threes. And then the guy that's like actually really good is going to go through the threes and look like a Heisman Trophy winner. Mm-hmm. But don't forget, this guy was the third-string quarterback at Texas A&M, so he might look right at home with the threes because he sure did last year, apparently. Um, and you can't discount the fact that some guys are just gamers. Yeah. You know, some guys are like Jeremy Johnson and are practicers. Like, they do great when there's nobody watching, when there's no expectation. And then you got some guys, hopefully, maybe it's like Zach Calzada, where you get them in a game and they're ten times better than they are in practice. But it doesn't sound like Zach's been very good in practice. It sounds like TJ has been improved from last year, which is good. Because TJ wasn't that far off from being good last year. Like, he really wasn't that far off from it. He had a beautiful, he has a beautiful, like his ball just it the way that it spins and like zips out of his hand, it is a great looking throw. It was the, the decision making last year and the issue, getting rid of it. I think the issue with Finley is that yes, he has those moments when he can zip it and he looks great, but he has just as many moments where you're just like, oh my goodness, what is this guy doing? And I think that's where the, I think that's where the majority of kind of the faults happen with TJ Finley is because the fans are going to remember the bad plays more than they're going to remember the good plays. And even when your good plays, I mean, if you want to think about TJ Finley, the most memorable play he has is that lat, that fourth down play against Georgia State when he scrambles, throws the ball, Cedric Jackson catches it in the end zone, we win the game. In that play, he rolls towards the blitz Somehow the Georgia State defender is confused and just doesn't 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 tackle him. TJ then turns around, turns his back to everybody, and then he runs away. And somehow, by some miracle, Shedrick is wide open in the end zone when we were in the red zone, and they Georgia State didn't even rush that many players. And he throws it to the wide open guy. Shedrick jumps, catches it, touchdown, game over. TJ's the hero, but. That's the most memorable play he has, and it's really not that great. But the thing is, he's got so many plays, namely in that Iron Bowl, where you're just like, oh, my gosh, this guy might be the worst quarterback I've ever seen. Granted, he did have a broken ankle on that game, but I just think that the issue with TJ and the perception of him is that his lows are so much more memorable than his highs. And honestly, in that, it, I would say that the, the Birmingham Bowl was the perfect representation of T.J. Finley because he had some throws. He had that absolute dime to Kobe Hudson in the end zone for a touchdown, but he also had so many plays where just like, goodness gracious, this guy's just not very good. And I think that's the biggest problem is that T.J.'s best plays have been in games that people want to forget, and his worst plays have been in games that people remember because they were big games. And then you had the the South Carolina game where the receivers were there a lot of the time and he just missed a bunch of deep balls. Like, 
they try I think like on the first three possessions, I think we tried like two deep balls each possession and they were there and they just they couldn't hit them. And so it's like, well, if you're hitting those deep balls, which again, guys can improve. Um, he could have improved in his decision making, but just picking up the context clues, it kind of sounds like if TJ had Zach's decision making, he's a great quarterback. Or if Zach had the arm that TJ has, he's a great quarterback. Or if either one of them had the legs that Robbie has, they'd be a great quarterback. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that Robbie is going to be – Robbie's not just going to be your week one starter all by himself. That That's not going to be the case. Now, will I rule out that Robbie gets significant minutes? No. I definitely think there will be packages for Robbie, especially if we get to a place where we are not able to just run the ball normally. I could see Harson just go into a try and run the read option, try and do some kind of something different because the traditional just line it up isn't going to work. All of this is underscored, by the way, by the news that Nick Brahms may or may not be out for an extended period of time. Um, What does that mean? That's a great question. Who in the world knows what that means, whether someone may or may not be out for an extended period of time? Um, you know, he might've had a meniscus repair and now they want to take the meniscus out, uh, which would be quicker than repairing it again. So that could be one of the answers. He might just have swelling in the knee from his whatever knee procedure he had, and they don't know why it's swelling and they're trying to figure it out. That could be it. Um, he could have torn his ACL because now a lot of athletes are trying to, rehab their ACLs without having surgery and you can come back sooner doing that. Um, who knows? Who knows? It could be so many different things with his knee. Um, and I think it's a really difficult decision because he's probably looking at it and, you know, is Nick Brahms going to play in the NFL? Probably not. Like I, I would probably bet he's not going to be a starter in the NFL. Or make a roster. I think maybe make a practice squad if he balls out. Um, he's probably going to be a pilot. Do you really want to run around on a bum knee that you already had surgically operated on when you're not going to play football again? And I think that's the question that may be being asked of him. So that's going to be a really tough loss to lose early in the spring. I just think it's really odd, though, that Brian Harson said, oh, yeah, there should have been no major injuries. And then a report comes out, oh, by the way, he may or may not be done. So, who knows? Yeah, and I think that'll just be – I mean, it's obviously something to monitor. Uh, I believe, you know, you've got around – I wanted to think. You've got Tate Johnson right at the two. I believe we had uh, – I want to say we had Jaleel Irvin as the backup center last season coming in a little bit. I know Brandon Council's played a little bit of center when they were kind of still trying to figure everything out. Um, but if you look at the offensive line, you've got Killian Zaire and Austin Troxel will both probably be manning the tackle spots like they usually have been in, you know, in spring and in the fall. So you're looking at that as two veteran guys that have played a lot of football. On the inside, a lot of the time, a lot of this you know, <clears throat> offseason, you've had Brandon Council and uh, Cameron Stutz Stutz is mainly there because Keandre Jones, who has started the past two seasons, is a little banged up. They should be ready for week one. Then you've got Brahms or 
Johnson uh, yeah, at center. And so I think when you look at that, the offensive line is not going to have any under like any lower classmen on the line at all at any point. Even if it's Tate Johnson starting at center, he's still a junior. So it goes back to that thing. We're going to have a, an experienced offensive line. And whether that is experience on the football field or in the weight room, these guys have seen college football before. And so while they might not be great, you know, it, it's similar to the what we said kind of in the twenty nine about the twenty nineteen offensive line. Yeah, they were all veterans, but they weren't necessarily that good. These guys kind of fit the same mold, but at least they can do something good. And they are going to they're not going to get rattled. You're not going to have just stupid mistakes from the offensive line because they've seen football, they know it. And that will help with the quarterback situation. When the offensive line knows what they're doing, the quarterback doesn't really have to worry about directing them. The receivers, they're probably not going to know what they're doing because a lot of them are new. I mean, you've got a guy like Chedrick Jackson. He's not going to be confused about anything. When you have, you know, Camden Brown or Coy Moore, they might be a little confused because they haven't been in the program a lot. So that's up to the quarterback to direct. You've got Tank at running back. He knows the offense. All the tight ends have been here for years. They know the offense. So I do think that whoever starts a quarterback, their job is easier than a typical quarterback's job is because they don't really have to tell the rest of the offense exactly what they're doing. They kind of need to focus on what they're doing and what some of the receivers are doing. But for the most part, they have to worry about them and not as much the whole team. So, Wheeler, would you say that that gives just – who would you think that that kind of gives a leg up for in the quarterback race? Honestly, Robbie Ashford. I mean, if you think a quarterback's going to be running for his life the whole time, that's going to be tough for me to say you want to put TJ back there, even if he's the best at hitting the receivers in a seven-on-seven drill or in a drill where the quarterback can't get tackled. If you have Swiss cheese up front, it's going to be a really long season with TJ back there. And it's just because he's just not that mobile. Um, and I think it also helps Zach Calzada because, honestly, Zach's one of those guys who reminds me of Brandon Cox. He'll just stand back there and get pummeled and not ever get, like, <clears throat> he'll get hurt, but not, he'll just keep playing, and he'll try he'll, and run yeah, away. He'll keep playing despite having a torn shoulder. Exactly. Very Brandon Cox-esque. Um, not going to lose you a game. I, I think Calzada's going to end up being the guy, especially if, uh, especially if you lose Brahms at center. I just can't see you putting TJ back there, knowing that the O-line is probably not going to be able to hold back any defensive line. And I also got the impression from the scrimmage that the defensive line was just manhandling the O-line. Um, I don't know if you got that impression, but it just kind of – it didn't sound great for the first-team offense. Which, granted, I, I do think that you have to consider the defense is pretty dang good. I mean, I, I do think that, that is something that you have to keep in mind even the twos on defense, and we were talking about this a little bit. When you look at the secondary, I mean, the secondary is pretty deep. I mean, you've you've got Caden, Caden Bridges was running with the ones, but you had Craig McDonald going out there. You had just a lot of guys at the safety and corner position that are going to play. Like, they are going to get legitimate snaps all season, and they're running with the two, so it's like, okay – while they're technically running with the twos in this scrimmage, these guys are starting caliber SEC football players. And I would say that the defense is significantly deeper than the offense. 
I would I would trust if we have a corner or a safety go down, I'm trusting the backup more than I'm trusting the backup receiver coming in to fill a hole. So I do I do think that I would almost be concerned if the offense was just lighting it up in the scrimmage because I'd be very concerned about our defense because we know our offense is not going to be that good. Yeah. But it also I, sounds like Damari Austin has really impressed Carnell Williams and everybody mm-hmm. else that's been watching practice and the scrimmage. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And my last kind of my last kind of thing on the quarterbacks, you know, if, if you remember the 2013 football season there was you know the QB battle it was really tight no one really knew what you know what was going to go uh and what Gus did was he had a scrimmage where the QB all QBs were live and obviously it was a little bit of a different situation because most of the QBs had a bit of a running threat to them with you know Nick yeah Nick Marshall Jeremy Johnson Jonathan Wallace kind of in that room and all those guys you know their legs could help them a little bit so Gus goes live, and that's how he decides that Nick Marshall is going to be the starter, and the rest is history. Do you think it would be beneficial for Brian Harson to have a scrimmage where the QBs are live? And obviously, you don't want anyone to get hurt, but especially with a guy like Robbie, he'll be able to showcase his scrambling and his running ability. But also for guys like TJ and Zach, you can see how they are when they're actually able to get tackled. And it's not just because there is a difference when you can just kind of sit in the pocket and throw it around when you know that even though the defense is coming at you, they can't touch you. So do you think it would be beneficial for Brian Harson to let his QBs go live for a scrimmage, or do you think the risk is a little too much and you should just keep them with the orange jerseys? I think that putting Robbie out there is not the worst idea, especially if your wildcat package for him is going to be him running, basically treating him like a running back. Because – you know, you saw, you saw firsthand what Zach can do. Like you watched an entire game, you know exactly what Zach's going to do when he gets rushed in the pocket. You also saw TJ last year. He's going to stand there, and he might try and stumble out of the pocket, and he's just going to get hit harder when he tries to galoof out. Robbie, you haven't actually seen him play live football um, since high school, and so I think that taking the jersey off of Robbie is a good idea. Unless you think Robbie is, like, far and away better than the other guys, and it's like, let's not get this guy hurt, which it doesn't seem like there's any, like, hype that this guy's just balling out over everybody else. Yeah, that's that's fair. Uh, And so I think that can kind of transition to our next question with guys that we have seen before and guys that we necessarily haven't. Do you think – name – I want you to name a freshman – and a transfer that you think is going to be able to make a pretty instant impact this season, uh, whether they be on offense or defense, just kind of give us a freshman and a transfer that you've really got your eyes on uh, in terms of making a no- making some noise this football season. Okay. The receiver is Camden Brown, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yes. That dude is going to be your freshman of the year, I think, because – Everybody seems to have a lot of hype about this guy and about his ability. And we've said on previous podcasts, you've got so many number two receivers on this roster. You just need one guy that is going to step up and be the dude. Um, and he was that for, I think we mentioned it on an earlier podcast, played at St. Thomas Aquinas, really good high school football program. And he balled out there. He's a three-star, but it's one of those things of like, 
sometimes star rating star ratings are your NFL potential. It's not what your college potential is. If you're balling out in high school and you're playing against really good competition, sometimes you just got to quit overcomplicating things and be like, this dude's really good at football. Um, So that's the freshman. And then transfer, I really think that Jeffrey Imba being in the middle is going to be really big for this defensive line because I think a lot of the problem last year was the edge rushers got more attention because we didn't have a guy coming up the middle that could really rush the passer. You had Tony Fair, and on run plays, you'd see our edges actually get somewhat decent push. You know, our run defense was really good because they actually had to account for Tony. If it was a passing play, you didn't have to account for Tony. You could play a super wide uh, O-line set. So I think Jeffrey Emba is going to be your transfer. I like both of those, you know, and obviously, you know, Camden Brown is kind of the guy that's been getting the most hype from the offensive room, period, really. Um, and with defense, I definitely agree with you. I think Jeffrey Emba and Jason Jones from Oregon are both going to be big-time players uh, in the interior. For my offense, I'll go a little different. Camden Brown is my pick, but just to be different, I do, you know, we talked about him a little bit earlier on the podcast, Damari Alston. I, I think that he's going to beat out, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, I think he'll beat out Sean Jackson for that running back three role. I still think he'll be behind Tank and Jarquez. Um, but I, I do think that he has shown his talent, and I think that he will be in the rotation. So I think that if he can develop in the passing game, he could be the Sean Shivers third down back that we saw last season, and I think he could make a definite impact there. Especially, I mean, if you look at Sean Shivers, while he may not have been the feature back, we don't win that LSU game without Sean Shivers. Everyone talks about Bo Nix, but Sean had three huge third down conversions that were just kind of play gets blown up. They dump it off to Sean. He makes it happen, gets the first down. So I definitely think that Damari Alston is a freshman that can make an impact. Um, and then on the defensive end, I think I would go with transfer. I've talked about him a, a pretty, pretty extensively, but I still think Craig McDonald's a big time player. Uh, had a good play in the scrimmage this past weekend uh, with a 95, I think it was a 95-yard uh, fumble return, something like that. But I definitely think that Craig is going to be a guy that can make an impact. I think he's really smart back there, and I think he can kind of help direct the rest of the defense into just kind of being where they're supposed to be and being a ball hog back there. So I, I think Craig McDonald is a guy that can make a pretty instant impact uh, as a transfer, and then Demari Olsen as a freshman. But I think that can kind of segue, Wheeler, just kind of what are your – have you have you wavered in your prediction any – obviously the QB is the most important thing, but with kind of how the schedule's looking, obviously Miles Brennan today decided to retire from football after hearing he probably won't be the starter. Are you still kind of feeling the same about that LSU-Penn State somewhat matchup, or do you think that Auburn is going to – Drop one of those. Do you feel still feel confident they can win both of those? Where are you thinking a week into fall camp? How are you feeling about those first four to five games? I'm not ready to change my prediction yet, but I'm definitely wavering after the first scrimmage. I really thought that Zach Calzada was going to come in and take the bull by the horns and actually be like QB1, solid option, and I did not see the uh, – serious competition going several weeks into the season um, because I think they're all fine, but I don't think that any of them are much better than the others, which is not good. 
Because that may, I was hoping that somebody was going to have had an improved offseason and be head and shoulders better because they all kind of started the offseason at the same place. And so I, I'm concerned about the quarterback position. Yeah, I think that just kind of is the summary of pretty much every Auburn fan uh, in this moment is that everybody's just kind of waiting to see. You've been hearing good things about pretty much every single position room except for the quarterback. Um, so I think it's just kind of everyone's just cautiously waiting to see what happens. Um, so I think at this point, all you can do is just kind of wait and see and just hope that something can something different can happen. But just kind of before we wrap up our football talk, I'd like to ask you, what were your thoughts about Seth Williams a couple days ago in the preseason game, reacquainting himself with Kelvin Joseph from, from Kentucky? Just kind of walk us through just how you see their whole relationship. I can't imagine that they have much of a relationship other than the child support payments that Seth sends over every month. Um, I don't know. My other takeaway from this, and this is going to be a freezing cold, no one's going to appreciate this takeaway. Seth Williams has done this man dirty in quite possibly like the least real things ever. Like he did it during the COVID season and the preseason. Like, those are two live tackle football games that neither one of them feels like a real live tackle football game, that he is just all of a sudden just daddied this man. I do think that the one the other day was very was much more impressive because you know that that guy has seen that clip a thousand times every time Seth gets shown, and you know, hey, this guy destroyed me one time. Whatever I do, I'm just going to make sure that he doesn't have a sports center top play on me. And what does he do? He does it in the NFL where everyone watches it, not just college football fans. It's trending on Twitter. He put him in a body bag. I will say if he did it on a Sunday, it would have hurt a lot worse because COVID year, kind of real. And then preseason, I guess it's real. Did Seth didn't make the team last year, though, did he? He he got called up. Uh, he got signed to a contract toward the end of the season and ended up having a catch. But it, it looks like with his preseason performance, he has a better shot of making the roster for the whole season than he did last season. So good for him for fathering and potentially making the roster this time. Yeah, I do agree with you. Uh, I think that Kelvin Joseph, I can just imagine, because you know, like what, what you said, he's seen that clip tons of times. You know he saw Williams on the back of that jersey. He knew exactly who he was going up against. You're in a very short yard situation. You got to know what's coming. And he just still just got destroyed. So I definitely think that's just kind of a funny just aspect of Seth Williams' career is that he just absolutely fathered this DB multiple times. But I think that can, you know, unless you have anything else to add, I think that kind of wraps up our football podcast for this week. Um, as soon as we end, uh, as soon as we end this one, we're going to be filming a basketball podcast to break down, uh, all the basketball events that have happened over the past two weeks. So if you're listening to this one, be sure to give the very next podcast that we post to listen. Uh, we'll be back here with another probably mostly football related podcast around the same time next week, talking about another week of practice and another scrimmage. Um, and again, thank you guys for listening and War Eagle. War Eagle.